couple of those songs made me emotional. Let me turn on here, sorry. Sometimes I fade out because my voice is not good, and sometimes I fade out because I'm trying not to weep. So, hey, I could hear you guys singing too. I could hear you guys really singing. It was great. So Lisa got the wrong title on the sermon. Um, Brad, we need to talk about our administrative situation. Um, actually, she got the right title, but I changed it. So if titles are important to you, uh, and they're not to most people, but if, if titles are important to you, the amended title is Rooted and Grounded in Love. Rooted and Grounded in Love. In continuing to look at the hallmarks of a healthy church, Brad and I thought it important, even imperative, to have a sermon or two on loving one another. I probably don't have to preach this sermon. I think we all understand that we are commanded to love one another. You know, if, if we've actually read through the Gospel of John, we get it. John 13, 34 and 35. We're in the upper room. Jesus says to his men, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he says this impossible thing for us to comprehend, even as I have loved you. Now, this is a new commandment. We've never been commanded to love as God loves. But this is what the Son says to us. That you also love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So John heard these words. He was sitting in the upper room. He never forgot them. He understands their import as the Holy Spirit leads him to begin to pen the book of 1 John, the book we call the book of assurance. It's called the book of assurance because if you need to understand whether you're converted or not, you can just go read 1 John and you'll get a pretty good sense of whether you're actually a believer or not. So what are the three main points we could succinctly summarize 1 John what are the three main points of true conversion we believe we obey and what we love the brethren right John is going to say that over and over and over again in his letter why don't you turn with me if you would to 1 John 1 John chapter 3 1 John chapter 3 the Holy Spirit is crystal clear about how we are to be assured of our salvation. Listen to 1 John 3, verse 14. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Why do we know it? Because we love each other. We love the body. We love the ecclesia. We love one another. We love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. John is saying to us that we can be assured that we belong to God. We're no longer captives to Satan. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer children of wrath. We can, we can be assured because I love my brothers and my sisters. 
I really do. Not in some humanistic way, not in some, you know, general affection way. I love them. Even as God has loved me, that's the command. I know none of us can reach that mark. But that's the point. That's what God has called us to point at, right? We're to point at that. That I love you and you love me even as Jesus loved us. When was the last time you thought deeply about that? When was, that, when, when was the last time that was a point of prayer for you? Lord, am I loving the body like you've called me to love the body? Beloved, this is no small thing. This is no run-of-the-mill command. God's Word could not be more clear. We're not Christians at all if we do not love one another. We're just playing a religious game. And this love that we have for one another, it should be conspicuous, right? It's conspicuous. We bring our gifts into the church and, and we use them for the benefit of the body. We're not just um, spectators. We don't just hang around the church because it seems right and I've always done it and it's a good thing. We love Christ. We love His Word. We love His people. You know, this is what I could never understand in Milan. You know, yeah, people always want to travel. I get that. They, they're only going to be in Europe for a year. I get that. Okay. But how can you not meet with God's people? How can you not love God's people enough to, to carve out an hour or two to meet with His people? So, yeah, I could jump right into John 13 and, and multiple verses in 1 John to, to establish the biblical imperative that we must love one another. It's what I plan to do. I probably should do it. But the Holy Spirit kind of blew me up on this. He does that sometimes to me. As I think the sermon's going to go that way and it goes this way. So, I did plan to go to John 13 and 1 John. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave me alone on the root of this commandment. So it's going to take me two sermons to get back to John 13 and to a detailed look at 1 John. What is the eternal root of the command to love one another? What is it? That's my point this morning. So I want you to hang in with me. I'm going to try to make the point. I don't know if I can make the point or not. I don't know if I can preach this sermon, actually. You know, sometimes the Lord gives you stuff and you go, I don't know if I can make that point. You know, it's so big. It's so beautiful. I'm not sure I'm the man to make the point. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me. I'm going to ask you to hang in with me the whole time, right? I know it's, it's hard. You know, sometimes you kind of, your mind kind of wanders. I get that. But I'm going to ask for you to hang in with me because I think it's worth it. I think what God has put before us this morning is worth it. The Lord has taught me this week that loving one another within the church is as fundamentally essential to Christian theology as the love that flows within the Trinity.
some of us are not taking this as seriously as we ought. I'm going to say that one more time. The Lord has taught me this week that loving one another within the church is as fundamentally essential to Christian theology as the love that flows within the Trinity. I know that's a huge statement. But what the Bible reveals is that the command to love one another flows out of what? Who God is. God is what? Love. It flows out of who God is. This is no run-of-the-mill command. We're supposed to reflect the very image of God as we love one another. This is no small matter. This is essential to who you are in Christ and who I am in Christ. So the command to love one another flows out of who God is and our response to this command clearly reveals whether we're Christian or not. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. So regarding this second truth of whether we are in Christ or not, the Holy Spirit says, look at 1 John 3.10. 1 John 3.10. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Okay? Obvious. <laughs> There's not a mystery here. It's obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Anyone who does not obey. But listen to how he finishes. Nor the one who does not what? Love his brother. Now, God is driving this point home. He could not be more adamant and more clear. One way we clearly distinguish the children of God and the children of Satan. Are we in the church and are we loving the people? Or are we just simply spectators? Do we come, we get a spiritual hit, we go home? We show up for fellowship sometimes. It's convenient. I like the food. Or are you being poured out in this body? Would you allow yourself to be poured out in this body? Hey, let me tell you what. If we start pouring ourselves out in this body, you think we're going to have 50 people for very long? We'll have 150 pretty quick. Beloved, we all have miles to go here. So this is an exhortation. You know, I told Brad this week, I, when God convicts me under my own message, I, it's not the most comfortable thing for me, right? But beloved, this is a big word. This is a big word for us this morning. I would fear for anyone who would not be mindful and vigilant of striving to obey this command of God to love one another. I fear for your soul if you do not love me. And I fear for mine if I do not love you. So I'm going to stop and ask. And you take inventory. Are you obeying God's command here? You take, you take inventory. Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it tangible? Is it seen? Is it felt? Is it heard in the body? So, 
My principal objective this morning is to try to pull the scriptural thread on this command to love one another, which inevitably takes us back into eternity past. Okay? This commandment for us to love one another flows out, I'm going to say it again, I'm going to say it about five times in the sermon, it flows out of who God is and how He has purposed to save a people for the glory of His name. There's just a lot of big, cosmic, God-sized truth and reality sitting behind Jesus' words in John 13, 34, and 35, and the Holy Spirit's words in 1 John 3, 14, regarding that we are commanded to love one another. We are commanded to do it. There's so much behind this commandment. As I said, I think it's going to take two sermons to get back to John 13 and Jesus' command. Again, Jesus commands us to love one another as He has loved us. Yes, I'm pretty sure none of us are going to get to that mark, but we know what we're supposed to be pointing at. We know what we're supposed to be like in the body. You know, we're all supposed to be like oil that greases the, 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 the gears, right? Love greases the gears. And I'm supposed to bring my portion of love to the body. And you're supposed to bring your portion of love to the body. <clears throat> Jesus says that by it, everyone will know you're mine. Right? It's our, it's our evangelism. It's our testimony. Hey, those people down there at Grace, man, they really love each other. They really do. They don't waste their time talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. They talk about what matters. They talk about God and what God's commanded His people to do for these very few moments we're on the planet. The Holy Spirit says in 1 John that it is by loving the brethren that we know that we've passed out of death and into life. It's our assurance, beloved. It's part of our assurance. If this is absent in your life, you can have no real assurance. Yeah, you have assurance, I'm a church member. Does God care if you're a church member on the last day? Did you love Him? Did you believe Him? Did you obey Him? And did you love His people? It's 1 John. It's 1 John. It doesn't get any bigger than this for the professing Christian. Jesus says the world will know your mind by this. And oh yeah, you'll know your mind by this. Look at 1 John 4, 7 and 8. 1 John. 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And there it is. There's the origin of this command, okay? This is the origin. This is the source. This is the root. God is the root. He's commanding you to love one another because He has loved you, because He is love. And you're supposed to take on the family resemblance, right? It's what we do. We take on the family resemblance. We're in the family now. We've been adopted. That's sons and daughters. 
Love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and for God is love. The Bible tells us love is from God and that God is love. John goes on to say, as we all know, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, how was God's love most obviously manifested in the sacrifice of His Son? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. John 3.16, Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross revealed, exhibited, and explained the depth of God's love for His people and you can't love them. Something's wrong. We've disconnected somewhere. This matters to God. We're to love one another. We're to love one another. You may be doing it perfectly. I know I'm not. So, yeah. Let's look at 1 John 4, 11 and 12. 1 John 4, 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, here we go. <laughs> we what? We also what? Ought to love one another. There it is. So from the root of God's love, we are to, the elect are to love one another. Again, in a conspicuous way. The whole world knows it. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love is perfected or we're mature. We've been made mature in love. God says, if I have loved you like this, how could you possibly not love your brethren? I mean, it's a way I could say it in a negative way. How would it even be possible that you would not seriously love your brothers and sisters? That it would be manifestly true. And how you work within the body and live within the body. And let's drop down to verse 16 real quick. And we have come to know and have believed the, the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. Okay? So, again, God's our root. God's our source. God's, God's our origin. We can't love like this. We can't even begin to hope to love like this unless... We're in deep relationship with Christ. It won't matter to us. It won't matter to us whether we love the brethren or not if we're not in deep relationship with Jesus. So we clearly see where all the love that should be flowing within a healthy church originates. Yes, of course. His name is Yahweh. That's where it must originate. So again, I think I need two sermons simply to get to Jesus' statement in John 13 and all the statements in 1 John concerning loving the, the brethren. So I'm going to state my goal one more time. 
My goal is for us to consider the origin of this commandment for us to love one another even as he has loved us. That's my goal, for us to consider the origin of it. We will, we will uh, exposit it maybe next week or the week later, the actual command. But my, my point here is to get to the root of it. I want you to see how big this is in God's economy. And of course, in our own daily lives. Let me say it like this. If we do not pull this thread of love all the way back to God, we will be less inclined to feel the weight of this biblical command. Particularly to love one another even as He has loved us. Again, that puts every one of us on our face. Crying out to God, I, I don't think I can love like that. Unless the Holy Spirit does it through me. Hey man, you got the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you speak in tongues, but do you love your brother? Do you love your sister? This matters to God more than speaking in tongues. You got the Holy Spirit? Don't tell me you have the Holy Spirit. If you're not loving your brothers and sisters, that's how we'll know if you have the Holy Spirit. Because we know this is alien to all of us. We're also, you know, inherently selfish. You know, if, we just, if we're left to ourselves, it's all about Jim all the time. Maybe I'm wrong about you. Maybe you're not like that. But if I'm left to myself, if I'm not in the Word, and my wife is not admonishing me, man, I'll be in a ditch. I'll be in a ditch. I'm going to ask you again, when was the last time you thought deeply about this? When was the last time you examined your own life with respect to how I'm loving my brothers and sisters? So where does all this commanded and displayed love originate? Yes, His name is Yahweh. Yahweh tells us He is the origin of all things. So I'm just going to, you know, just briefly, I, I, I do this probably maybe two or three times a year. I'm just going to briefly take you into those, those middle chapters of Isaiah. You don't need to turn there. This is what God says. I'm the origin. Yes, of course, you must love your brothers and sisters because I am love. And God makes it clear there's no other God beside Him. Let, let me just read you a few excerpts from Isaiah 40 to 46. There's nobody, yeah, nobody before God. He's the origin. He says, I am the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator. I am the first and the last. I am the Lord. That is my name. I am the Lord your God. I have created you for my glory. Before me there was no God formed and there will be none after me. And there is no Savior besides me. I am the one who has declared and saved and proclaimed. Even from eternity I am He. Is there any God beside me? I love this. He says, is there any God beside me? He says, I don't know of any. I love his humor. Of course I'm the origin. You can't love the body unless it flows through me. It's miraculous. It's miraculous that any of us can love 
is we are commanded to love. It's true evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. He continues, I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. There is no God. <laughs> are, are there other gods? gods? Yahweh says, I don't know of any. I don't know of any. I'm God. I'm love. And I've commanded you to love your brothers. That should be enough, right? That's enough. I could stop. <laughs> That's enough. He is the genesis of all love. That's why I read Romans 11.36 to start the service. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. So I hope you see why I needed this sermon to begin to talk about God's love, uh, God's command for us to love one another. It started with Yahweh in eternity past. It's who God is. So I just want you to make the connection. When you hear the thing, when you hear the command to love one another, I want you to make the immediate connection. This is who God is. And this is the command of God. And if I have the Holy Spirit, yeah, I'll love, I'll love my brothers and sisters. Of course I will. It would be impossible not to. If you claim to be His, you're supposed to be loving, even as He has loved us. And yeah, I, I'm humbled by that. I'm intimidated by that. That'll keep you on your face. That'll keep you humble before God. That'll keep you crying out to God for the Spirit. To clean up all the mess that's within me still. Right? So tracing back this thread of love throughout the scripture, what passage comes to mind in thinking about the love of God from all eternity? Well, Ephesians 1, it just was like, bam! So turn, turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians 1. You guys know it. Famous text. Verse 3, Ephesians 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. What does your Bible say next? Tell me. In love. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Why? To the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. You want to think about God and the origin of, of, of love? Obviously, it's, it's the person of God. You want to see one of the first places, if not the first place that God starts talking about it? It's in Ephesians chapter 1. Before the foundation of the world, in love, He predestined us to adoption as sons. You know, we're back to the thing I always have talked to you about so many times. Why anything? Why everything? Why is there something rather than nothing? We're back, we're back there. We're always back there. 
You know, because God's going to put himself on display for all of his creatures. Right? He's going to reveal himself to every creature, and he's, oh, guess what? Going to communicate himself to the elect in a whole different thing, a whole different kind of way. Through the indwelling of the Spirit of God. We don't just, you know, know that there's a God. We're in relationship with God through the Spirit of God. In creation and providence, God has gone public with the entirety of His being. In creation and providence, God is putting every attribute on display. It's always, and I won't go there, but it always, you know, as you deal with theology, you're always driven back to Romans 9, 22 and 23. He's putting all of His attributes on display. And he doesn't, you know, it's not a big deal to Him if you like it or not. He's going to put His glory on display and His people are going to like it. His people are going to like it. They're going to love it. We know that that's our diet for an eternity future. You know, to be preoccupied with Yahweh. We love it. We know the world hates it. We know the pseudo-church hates it. But we love it. We love the glory of God. He says... He says, in love, I've done this. Why? That you would praise the, 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 the glory of my grace for a billion eternities. Because you should be in hell, but you will never go there. Because I love you. I love you. We've talked about this before. Most professed Christians cannot articulate the bedrock theology, pardon me, theological and biblical truth contained in Ephesians 1, 6, 12, and 14. What is God doing? He's doing this. He's showing His graciousness to the praise of the glory of His grace. Verse 12 of Ephesians 1, to the praise of His glory. Verse 14 of Ephesians 1, to the praise of His glory. This to the praise of His glory, which is what we will do forever. We are rooted and grounded in love. That's the new title. We are rooted in eternity past that God is love and God has loved His people. And we're rooted in that. So don't go to God and say, I can't love you know who. Because He's just going to blow you away with Himself. You know, He shouldn't have loved you either. <laughs> you know, compared to perfect holiness, what do you bring to the table? You were a wretch, just like me. An abominable wretch who no doubt had blasphemed God most of your life before you became a Christian. Now, some of you were converted as children. Praise God if you were converted as a child. I was con converted at 28. And it was just dismal. It was just dismal. But we will praise the glory of His grace forever. I don't think this is a sidebar. You might see it as a sidebar. But God is radically God-centered. You look there at Ephesians 1. To the glory of His grace. 
to the glory of His grace, to the praise of the glory of His grace. The triune God's work in creation and providence is displaying God. The Father's electing work, the Son's atoning work, and the Holy Spirit's regenerating work is to the praise of the glory of His grace. Yahweh loves His glory. And if that offends you, I, I think you're not a Christian. Yahweh loves His glory. Yahweh loves His elect. And His elect love His glory. And His elect love His people. I'm just pulling this thread. I'm just pulling the thread. We understand biblically that God is uppermost in the heart and mind of God. You're not. And that's good news. It's good, good news that you're not uppermost in, in, in uh, God's heart and mind. All of the cosmos and all, the, the, uh, all, all that, that, that's been spoken into being terminates on you? I don't think so. It terminates on God. It's all pointing to God and the glory of God, which will be our supreme delight forever. We love the glory of God. That's why it's good news that God loves the glory of God. The cross is not primarily about God making much of us. The cross is about God making much of the glory of His grace through the Spirit and through the Son. This doesn't make us feel less loved because God's glory is our deepest pleasure and will be forever. God and His glory will be our principal preoccupation for a billion eternities. Let me say it to, the, to you this way. There is less pleasure for us if we are the principal consideration of the cross. There's less pleasure for us in that. There is more pleasure for us if He is the principal consideration in the cross, which He is. What did Jesus say before He went to the cross? Father, glorify Your name. It's always been about the glory of God. Always. And I know false churches get it backwards. And they make, they make you feel like it's all about you. It's never going to be about you. Principally. But God does make much of us in a lesser way. What gift could God give us that would show Himself most loving? Well, you know, Himself. And that's what He's done. <laughs> himself. The cross is not ultimately about God making much of us and putting us at the center. It's about Him enabling us to make much of Him. That we would enjoy Him forever. And thinking about these things, my mind went to John 17, 21 and following. You don't need to go there. I'm just going to summarize it for you. Jesus is praying to the Father and He prays that we, true believers, His followers, that we may all be one even as You, Father, are in me and, and, and I in You, that they may be in us. I don't know, I don't know, I can't talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that. I had a woman leave the church one time just because I read the text. I don't know how to talk about that. It's so big, I'm not going to touch it. 
But he, Jesus goes on, he says, and the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Okay, something about his glory is going to be given to us. And you love them even as you loved me. There's something about the intra-Trinitarian love that flows down on us. I can't, this is so huge. John 17 is so huge. You know, it's with great trepidation that I even try, that I even talk about some of these things. Because I don't want to blaspheme God in a backhanded way. In some sense and in some way, we are and or will be one with the Godhead. Don't ask me to explain it. I, I, I tremble to even say it in the pulpit. But it's what the Son prayed to the Father. In some sense and in some way, the glory of the Father that the, that, that the, that the Father gave to the Son is given to us. In some sense and in some way, we are loved even as the Father loved the Son. <laughs> this stuff should be blowing up your heart. You're not going to have any trouble loving your brother if you understand all that, that you, are, you have inherited in God and all that awaits us. <laughs> I know it's inconvenient sometimes to love people. And I know some people are unlovable. I get that. I'm probably one of them. But that's beside the point. That's not the point. <laughs> that is not the point. I do not worry that God might be making too little of me when we assert that God is radically God-centered. But maybe far too much. Maybe He's made far too much of me. You know, you get, you get that weight. You know, it's like C.S. Lewis writes about the weight of glory. You get that weight of glory on your shoulders and you spend more time on your face. In loving His glory, God has loved us. Beloved, all of this sits behind the commandment for us to love one another. God's radical, God-centeredness is good news because He is our reward. I love the way the psalmist says it. Help us, O God, our salvation for the glory of Your name. We know it's all about Your glory. And deliver us and forgive our sins in you, for your name's sake. So no false preacher, wannabe theologian, bogus Christian author, the cross is not about Jim Albright. Principally. It's this thing between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. That's what it's about, principally. Yeah, I'm caught up in it. Because in love He predestined me. This theology, it's so profoundly beautiful. It should rock our world. Sometimes I think it, become, it becomes music to us. And we don't, we don't pull the thread on it. And we don't contemplate all that it means. Listen to Paul, how, how Paul says it over in Ephesians 3, verse 16. Ephesians 3, verse 16. <clears throat> He prays that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Okay, <laughs> what He grants is, 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 is according to the riches of His glory. We want God to be honored and glorified. To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you what? Being rooted and grounded in love. 
I'm supposed to love my brothers and sisters. Why? Because God is love. And in eternity past, he loved me. And he set his heart on me. Of course I'm to love the brethren. How can I not love my fellow elect? How would that be possible? It's not possible. It is not possible. And listen to this. We're rooted and grounded in love and made that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Do you see where God intends for all of this uh, love He has for us to go? That we may comprehend the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And it will surpass knowledge forever. You'll never get to the end of the knowledge of how He's loved you. This is so big. And He's loved us so much that He's going to allow us to be filled up to all the fullness of God. I don't know how to talk about it. It's so big. No descriptive term is adequate. God means for us to comprehend His love, which is infinite. We can't get there. God means for us to be partakers of the fullness of God, which is limitless. We'll never get there. I pray you're seeing the eternal and glorious origins of this commandment Jesus gave us in John 13, 34 and 35, to love one another. It all goes back. It goes back. To, to Ephesians 3.17, we're rooted and grounded in this love. If we're His, we're rooted and grounded in this love. Of course it's going to spill out of our life. Of course it will. It matters to me on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning, my loving the body. It starts in the fact that God is love. That God loves His glory. You guys know the, the passage. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. God says, bring everyone who is called by my name who I have created for what? So I can make much of them. No, that I have created for my glory. And my people will feast on my glory forever and ever and ever. And they'll never grow weary feasting on my glory. He will be the banquet. He will be the banquet. We love His glory. You know, it's what Moses is praying about. Moses who, Moses who had seen more of God than anyone else had ever seen. No one had seen as much of God as Moses had seen. And Moses says, I pray thee, show me your glory. He knows he hasn't seen anything yet. I always love, I love that, 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 that exchange that goes on with God and Moses in Exodus 33. I love it. And let me say this. <clears throat> I think it's 100% true, but I'll use the word likely. I may just say it's 100% true. You can debate me one way or the other. That the deepest expression of our love for Him is the insatiable heart and soul hunger and thirst we have for a greater revelation of the glory of God. 
Health, wealth, and prosperity, you know I say it all the time. Are you serious? Are you going to bore me with that? I'm going to be praying Moses' prayer. Lord, show me your glory. That's really all I care about, you know. And I know if I see your glory, I'm going to know how to love my wife. And I know how I'm going to, I know I'm going to, I'm going to know how to, to love my neighbor. And I'm, I'm going to know how to deal with my boss and my fellow co-worker. And I know, how, I know what I'm supposed to do at the church. <laughs> you know, it, it all becomes pretty simple if we see his glory. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's turn there just briefly. Ephesians 2. You guys know the famous text. Ephesians 2, 1. The Holy Spirit tells us we're dead in our trespasses and sins. God tells us that we are captives to Satan. And verse 3, God's Word tells us that we are by nature children of wrath. But what, Brad? What, is, what does Ephesians 2, 4 say? But what? But God, being rich in mercy. Why? Because of the great love with which He loved us. It all goes back. Even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with Him. And, oh, guess what? Here's the, the fruit of all this love, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? In order that in the ages to come you might be, you might, He might show you the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness in Christ. This is the only passage, this term translated great love, is the only passage in which this term occurs in the New Testament. So, I got you. Did you know that, Brad? You probably knew it. You have to study it up, buddy. It's the only time. Great love. Great love. Great love. <laughs> Can you imagine if God's Word uses a superlative like that? <laughs> what, is, what are we talking about? Infinite, eternal? Love. Piper writes with respect to this passage, John Piper. He says, this is a particular love. This is a special love. It's not a general love God holds for all creation, but a particular love that moved him to choose us for his own and make us alive. And all this work of grace is that we might live for the praise of the glory of His grace. Obviously, one way we do that is to love the brethren. He loved you with a great love and loves you for the glory of His grace. In considering this confluence of passages I've been laying out for you, my mind went back to this Old Testament text. You guys will know it. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. Why did God love Israel? Well, because they were the largest nation uh, available. They were the smartest people available. They were the mightiest people available. Why did God love them? The text says because He loved them. God says, I love them because I love them. There's no other reason I decide to love them in a particular way. He didn't call out the Samaritans or the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Egyptians. He called out the Jews. Why? Because he loved them. Why? Because he loved them. Why? Because he loved them. Are you a Christian? It's because he loved you. It's because he loved you. I love that word picture Moses uses there in Deuteronomy 7, 9. 
He talks about the loving kindness of God to a thousandth generation. I love this Hebraism. You know, it's just, it's a word picture of forever. So yes, God is radically God-centered. His glory is uppermost in his heart and mind. And yes, God radically loves the ecclesia. God is love. He knows how to love. He doesn't need anybody to teach him how to love. He loves perfectly, generously, sacrificially, eternally, and infinitely. So that's what we're shooting at in the body of Christ. In addition to this eternal and particular love we mentioned in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, there are myriad ways God has made much of us. We are never the primary... <clears throat> We are never primary in the redemption and providential equation, God's love, but God's love for us is seen in some breathtaking ways. Just a couple real quick. How does God make much of us? In a secondary way. It's almost not second. It almost feels like it's not secondary because it's so mammoth and so astonishingly beautiful. I love how Zephaniah says it, Zephaniah 317. He shows his love for us by rejoicing over us. He will rejoice over you with gladness, with shouts of joy, the Bible says. Oh, he's going to give us a glorified body like the resurrected son, Philippians 3.21. Oh, by appoint, he's appointed us to carry out judgment upon the angels, 1 Corinthians 6.3. Oh, by making us co-heirs with the son, Romans 8.17, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.21 and 23. If you want my notes, let me know. I'll email them to you. And most astonishingly, the one that really takes my breath away, he's granting us to sit with him on his throne, Revelation 3.21. God is making much of God principally, but he radically loves his people. Beloved, we have no concept of what awaits us. And I know you have hard days. I know we all do. But listen, can you preach to yourself? Can you preach to yourself on a hard day? What awaits you? It's just unspeakably, inexpressibly glorious. What awaits us? Why is the Christian all in with Jesus? Because of all of this? Because all of this is true? I'm all in with Him. I don't, need, I don't need anybody to talk me up, talk Jesus up, or coach me up. Man, I'm in the Word, right? Nobody has, to, nobody has to encourage me. Well, maybe sometimes. But man, all of this stuff is true and it's mine. In Christ, it's mine. And no one can take it. No one can take it. Man, we're all in, right? We're all in all the time. Yeah, we have bad days, and you just need to slap me upside the head if I'm having one, okay? I, I, I give you permission. If I'm misbehaving in the body, you can just come up and, you know, bam! Maybe on the back would be better. But, you know, sometimes we just got to be slapped. We just got to have some sense slapped into us. And I pray that God's Word is enough to accomplish that. So why have I taken you back to the wellspring of love that is the person of God and take, talking about the biblical man, that, the biblical command that he has given 
for us to love one another so that we will feel all the divine momentum, force, and weight of it. And understand that we are all rooted and grounded in this. This is not some second tier command. This is all about God. This is all about God. So we'll end where we started. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, beloved, <laughs> I didn't need, to, didn't need to preach this sermon. You know God is love. And if you are in Him, His great love with which He loved you will be in you and it will be spilling out in this church. It will be conspicuous. It will be visible. It will be felt. It will be heard. For we are called to love one another, even as Christ has loved us. This command to love one another flows out of the very being of God. First John 4, 11 and 12. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray together. What a beautiful God. What a beautiful God. What an interesting God. Captivating. Wonderful. Amazing. Glorious. God is love, you tell us. We know it. We see it on the pages of Scripture. We feel it in our souls. God is love. And in love, before the foundation of the world, He has adopted His people for the glory of His name. Lord, we rejoice. We are humbled by all of these truths, just the sheer weight of the glory of it all. This glory that, as Jesus prayed, we will taste in some way. That in some way, we are caught up in intra-Trinitarian love. In some way, We will sit with Jesus on His throne. We, do, 
Lord, these things are so big. Forgive us when they become background music for us. Forgive us when we don't treasure these things. Because all of this is beyond words. All that you've done for us is really beyond words. It can only be understood through the Spirit of God in a regenerated soul. Lord, I pray that each one of us in this room will recommit to loving the brethren. This is no small thing to you. We pray this in the matchless and beautiful name of your Son, the name before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We pray this in his name, the one who bled out. We pray this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.